onion, luminous flask, your beauty formed petal by petal, crystal scales expanded you, and in the secrecy of the dark earth, your belly grew round with dew. Under the earth, the miracle happened, and when your clumsy green stem appeared, and your leaves were born like swords in the garden, the earth heaped up her power, showing your naked transparency, and as the remote sea in lifting the breasts of Aphrodite, duplicating the magnolia, so did the earth make you, Onion, clear as a planet and destined to shine, constant constellation, round rows of water upon the table of the poor. You make us cry without hurting us. I have praised everything that exists, but to me, Onion, you are more beautiful than a bird of dazzling feathers, heavenly globe, platinum goblet, unmoving dance of the snowy anemone, and the fragrance of the earth lives in your crystalline nature. Ode to the Onion by Pablo Neruda Welcome to Millennial Mystics, a podcast about modern mysticism and the people making it theirs. Together, we explore all angles of mystical subjects for both beginning and advanced practitioners and bring marginalized voices front and center. Prepare to laugh, learn, and decondition. So grab a pen and your grimoire and let's get going. Welcome back, friends, to Millennial Mystics. We have a really, really cool episode today. I'm really excited because I've been talking about doing this one since the very beginning too, um, yeah. which our guests may or may not know, but I've had this plan for a while. <laughs> Literally so long. This was like, we were originally going to release this with our foundation episodes because Kaylee could not contain her excitement. Yeah, I That's couldn't like, wait. I couldn't wait. <laughs> that was the level of this. Um, so, And after seeing everything you guys want to talk about, I feel the same. So, <laughs> Yes. So let's get into it. I mean, like... Not a whole lot of introduction. I'm going to let you guys just dive right in. Who are yeah. you? And then, um, yeah, let's astrologically profile you. What are your um, astrology big three and then your human designs? Um, I'm Holly. I am Sagittarius and Cancer Moon, Cancer Rising. 
Um, human design, I got some help from Kaylee because I'm very new to human design. Uh, but I am a generator with sacral authority. That's correct. We're, okay. we're twinsies, twinsies on that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very, very similar energy for that. I know when I first looked up human design, I really resisted that and did not want to accept that. And then as I've read more and more about it, it really makes sense for me. And um, so I'm yeah. interested to hear more about what you have to say about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I can absolutely get into it for sure. Isn't it funny how that works? You're like, no. And then you read more and more and then you're like, fuck yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was yeah I mean I I was super resistant to being a generator too I always pictured myself as more of a projector but now that I think about it it, it sits in other parts of my chart and my energy really is is that generator sort of energy um anyway before we start chatting too much Greg and then about you yes my name is Greg and um so mine I am a Virgo Cancer Moon and Virgo Rising, and then for the second part, I've I've just been informed of this, so you may have to help me remember again. Sure. <laughs> You're a projector. Part. Yep. And then projector. the second part is Environment Authority. Thank you. AKA no, no authority, as some people say, but we here at Millennial Mystics, yeah, we call it Environmental Authority. Yeah, I don't fuck with that. <laughs> yeah, you have authority. For sure. Yeah. Your agency and, is in your environment. Yep. So when we when we um finally sent Greg and Holly our little questionnaire for our guests, they sent a whole document attached to us <laughs> about what they wanted to answer the question, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, Okay, I guess I'll check it out. And it's like Oh my word, there's so much on there and I'm so excited to dive in, especially because I want to I want to ask you guys because I have always felt that I am a kitchen witch mm-hmm. and so I like need validation on that. So tell so tell us about what you do and why you're here today. So on on the kitchen witch side, um let's start there. Okay. Uh so myself and Holly included, I think we would both be under that title. Um, again, this is for myself personally, this is a little bit of a new intro to me. Um, these are, these are terms that I did not know that would actually fit what I was already doing. If that makes interesting, Yeah, it does. It does. Kitchen, Witch, you know, the, the, the daily aspect of what I like to do, what I enjoy doing, what I like to create, what I like to, um, feed people, what I like to, share um in in that common experience that's all i thought it was um but now delving into it looking at it i I see that it does fall under this category of kitchen witch and it makes perfect sense um especially with the environment that i'm in with holly with with um the people that i choose to surround myself with um and ourselves with i think it's it's an interesting term to to explore um I found um, some descriptions of kitchen witches that were actually in the book, The Green Witch, uh, but they were comparing kitchen witches and green witches. And one of the big things with kitchen witches is that it's not necessarily following any specific holy texts. Um, It's really integrated in your day-to-day activities. It's imbuing those with intention. Um, It's creating a ceremony around that. 
Hmm. I think it's very much a ritual and a ceremony yeah. for you. Well, I think intention is is very important. You know, each each ingredient, each dish, each um, each event that we are, are doing this for, um, you do put those intentions in it. Uh, you know, what your your hopes and needs or your what you want to come out of this and those are very laden in those um those dishes could you give an example of like what it means to be a kitchen witch because it sounds like you know people may not like the newbies may not understand what it really means to put intention into like your daily activities or to like your kitchen witch stuff so yeah could talk more about that so one of my favorite examples that's something really easy that people can make for themselves at home is um, a Rice Krispie treat that we make, which is very simple snack, uh, but we add a little bit of rose water, some rose petals, and pink Himalayan sea salt. And these are ingredients that can bring warmth and love, and um, it's kind of the edible equivalent of a rose quartz. <laughs> You guys Aww. couldn't hear it, but Greg laughed at me because I like started making faces because I have had these Rice Krispies. It was actually like the first thing I've ever eaten from you guys. And so much fucking magic. Like, guys, they're so wow. good. It is, I mean, and it really is like like edible rose quartz. It is absolutely that energy. And if I remember correctly, the first time we had it, it was for, um, or was this the rosemary one? I think it was rosemary. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, but the, rice the rosemary Krispies. what? I need to know now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tell them about the rosemary because I, I, I want to like share a little bit about like where we were mentally when we needed that. Yeah. I think um, the rosemary, it was the same idea. The Rice Krispie Treats are a really nice, easy um, canvas that you can then put different intentional herbs and seasonings into. And it's something you can share easily. Um, so that's, we have lots of variations on that. Yes, we do. <laughs> that, that's one of our go-tos. Yeah. And the, so the rosemary, I mean, rosemary is really good for banishing um, and protection and all of these really um comforting and nurturing sort of properties that um are healing i mean it, it's definitely more focused on healing and this was back in early 2017 when um you know i mean obviously there was a lot of healing that that needed to happen there were a lot of us that were you know just sort of reeling from the election and from feeling so alone and without community and like, you know, we, we didn't have anybody to, to really, you know, go through all of that with. And so this was, um, you know, a group of us that had found solidarity and this was a snack that we all ate together when we were like, you know, comforting each other and finding ways, yeah, commiserating and, you know, trying to fight against it with community. So yeah, it was, it was really magical. And then yeah, the rose evolution. Rose is one of my favorite flavors, guys, if you ever want to give me gifts or if you want to poison me, flavor it with rose. (laughs) Noted. (laughs) 
So that's really cool. So how does that factor into what it is that you guys do? Because I know that Kaylee gave me a brief that was basically like, you're, it's like part food, kind of like party planning around the full moon, like lots of like, there's a lot of like ritual and spiritualism, like or spirituality around like what you do as far as like gathering and food goes. So could you tell us more about that? Yeah, I think these were things that um, we had incorporated into our day-to-day life in different ways. And probably around 2016, 2015, Mm -hmm. um, we started looking at ways to share this. And so um, we started hosting dinners and brunches and we would plan these around uh, different events. So we I think one of the first ones we did was for the summer solstice, which also happened to fall on the full strawberry moon. And so we did a big coursed out dinner. Um, We incorporated different herbs for different things and just symbolism in the plating of the meal to reflect the full moon, to reflect the fullness of the event. Um, And it started from there and we, don't get to host them as often as we would like, but when we do, it's usually a really wonderful group of like-minded people who come together. And I think a lot of nice connections happen and Mm -hmm. it feels good to be able to facilitate that and to share uh, what we're doing with people who might enjoy it and benefit from it. Yeah, the the shared connection, um, the shared event is probably my favorite aspect of it. Um, you know, it's it's a way to bring people together and having that that lens to focus it through um, is a good way to start the conversation and start the, the, the feel of the event. Which is interesting because a lot of my personal practice is very um, solitary. Mm-hmm. I don't really do much with a coven. Um, a lot of my spirituality tends to be very personal and done alone or done with just the two of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But the food was a way that we could really bring a lot of people in and share these things with like-minded people. But it's also interesting because um, we're able to share little bits and pieces of kind of herbal remedies, herbal healing, and the metaphysical properties of herbs with people who may not otherwise be open to things like that. It's approachable. Yeah, it's a very approachable introduction for people. Right, yeah. And I mean, having experienced some of these and like the um, Samhain party that we did, mm-hmm. you know, so helping plan some too, it's, <laughs> it is, it's very approachable. It's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I always have words and then pause in the middle of these episodes <laughs> to give you guys dramatic effect. Um, non-secular or no, secular. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's secular. That's not the word that I want though, but it is, I mean, like having also invited people who um, are not practicing witches and inviting people who are, it's it's a really wonderful way to have community and ritual. And I, yeah, absolutely sympathize with, you know, taking a solitary approach to to ritual but also finding that I need a sense of community and yeah the food is a great equalizer in that um 
it's, I mean, it's also just relatable, you know, when you have an upset stomach, everybody like gets drawn to eating chicken soup or kitchity or, you know, like whatever cultural, you know, comfort food is there for them. And those things have real medicinal properties to them. You know, I mean, like a poultry blend of herbs is definitely medicinal. It, you know, it's sage, rosemary, thyme. It's all of those things that help with congestion and blood clearing and liver clearing and, you know, all of that good shit. So yeah, it's, it's something that everybody can understand. And as, you know, somebody who does prefer to practice solitary, um, it's, it allows me to have that escape for my occasionally extroverted side, you know, because it's, it's lonely when you practice solitary, it feels like you're missing something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's also, like we talked about, um, in our previous episode with Naomi, which is another person that Holly and Greg know, (laughs) (laughs) um, that there is, an accountability with community that you don't necessarily get with solitary practice. Like for me, it's any of my solitary practice is going to be inward focused or action related for something that I believe needs to happen. It's, it's very, I mean, ego in however you want to moralize that, but it's, it's not the only way to have ritual. And there are certain holidays that I feel like really require group, right? Like coming up, we have um, summer solstice, you know, not too, too long away. It certainly feels like it today, the day that we're recording. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that's that's a particular holiday that really benefits from having a group of people. You wanna be outside, you wanna be, you know, dancing around and having pool parties and doing all of these things that, you know, you can't really get to do when it's cold out. And same with Beltane that we had not that long ago. That's another one that like everybody's finally able to get outside and you just want to be with people. And food is a natural coming together on that. Like there's always going to be food at an event. It just, that's the way it is. And there is this really wonderful magic of seeing what people bring and what people create, even when you're not intentionally bringing magic into it. And then when you add that layer of magic, it's just, you know, like it's, it's powerful. It is. You're giving me so many ideas for like holidays and stuff. Cause like, I'm always the hostess. So like you guys talking about like, Oh, like having to like plan out the meals and like all the ingredients and plating the right way. That sounds like so much work, but like, like what's the prep like for that? Like what's the process you go through for planning a big event like that? Um, I usually start by looking into the timing and some of the themes around that timing. Um, so we know what we're trying to reflect in the dishes. And then... Seasonality, I think, is also very important when yeah, it comes to I the ingredients, of course. It's very much going along with the natural cycle, the wheel of the air. So 
Yeah. And then, you know, one of the things that we've started doing, um, maybe it's not addressing your question exactly, but we we're starting with the idea of quote unquote foraging, <laughs> um, mm. which is new to us, something, you know, we've, we've always enjoyed the idea of it and the, the benefits that people have brought to us from it. Um, but for ourselves, we've just started really looking at it and being able to go out into nature and gather those items, the seasonal items and, and be able to incorporate those into the ideas that the event may be based around, um, has, has been quite exciting. Yeah. 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 I mean, whether you're foraging like, you know, out in, uh, the, nature i guess or whether you're picking up stuff at the grocery store that's obviously going to be a super integral part part of that process of planning you know yeah. So, yeah. so yeah yeah uh, so i think it's kind of looking at the themes that we want to bring in looking at what naturally goes with that cycle and that time um, looking at any herbs we may want to incorporate or any specific foods we may want to incorporate for different reasons and I do a lot of the base research and then really hand it off to him. And I think one of the things about the process is that it's, it's very intuitive. So I kind of give him a list of a lot of ideas and information, and then he takes that and somehow turns it into specific dishes and brings it all together and takes it from a cloud of ideas and makes it something concrete and beautiful. This is like literally the perfect generator projector partnership because like, I was just going to yeah. say like what you described is exactly generator con- build, 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 projector, yeah. organize and make it make sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. You say it as like, it's a, a cloud of madness of all these ideas and, and themes. And I'm looking at it as, well, you've just given me a bubble that I can work within and and I don't have to go outside of that. I can construct from there and put the pieces together. So it actually helps me organize. It helps me. Bingo. So yep. it, it's funny in that, that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect generator and yeah. projector symbiosis. I and mean, like, that's exactly how it should be working. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you guys are doing it. You didn't even realize. Yeah. So, so Greg, <laughs> what, what happens once Holly hands it off to you? What's your process for preparing this? So, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, let's look at the themes, let's look at the time of year, let's look at the ingredients that are tied to that um, and see what I can come up with. The other thing is looking at the audience of who we want to um, bring this to. Um, Some of that is, you know, changes the direction that we may be going. Uh, Also, the presentation, is is it a brunch? Is it a dinner? Is it a coursed out? Is it a buffet? You know, there's... There's a lot of different things that go in there. So just figuring out those items one by one um, helps me tie the list down. Um, Mm. Ingredients themselves, of course, are there, but then the themes, finding ingredients that reflect those themes and translate those themes into an edible dish um, is is another exciting part. So it's, you know, it's not a, a direct translation. It's an interpretation. And I think that's, there's a lot of fun in that. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, that I can really appreciate that being like the hostess with the mostest. That's, that's my status all the time. I have Leo in my, is it my fourth house or fifth house, Kaylee? It's the one with home. It's the home. 
Uh, so that would be your, probably your second house. Of course, I don't have your- No, it's like I mean, childhood, childhood and oh, stuff. Oh, fourth. Yeah, that's- Yeah, my fourth house. house. Yeah. So of course, yeah. I love to entertain. I get that. And so, you know, I'm like already feeling so validated by everything you say because like, I always felt like I'm not a real witch because I don't like sit down at an altar and do all of this stuff. And like, you know, I don't like- I'm not consistent with like deity work or anything like that. But for me, like cooking is such a, such a ritual and such a like, almost like a spiritual practice for me. Like feeding other people is something that like really feels like so like deep in my heart. And like, you know, when I had read a few little tips about like thanking the spirits of all the you know, vegetables and animals in your meal or like thinking about what it is you want to like, you want people to feel when they eat things. Like I'm so in my element when I do those things and I feel so good about it. Like I, I really struggled a long time with like being somebody who loves animals and eat meat and eats meat. And like having that, I was like, Oh, I'm bringing gratitude and so much like, you know, love into this meal, love for the sacrifice that all these all these creatures have endured like to nourish me. And that like really, like I started seeing myself as more legitimate because of that. So it's so encouraging for me to hear that like what I'm doing is essentially like a ritualized practice. And it's not necessarily just, at least for me, not, not events, not, not big dinners, big things, you know, on an everyday basis, I come home and cook and it's cleansing. It's, yes. you know, it's, it's, washing away everything and it's it's putting myself in a meditative state in some sort chopping an onion can be pretty damn meditative oh, <laughs> oh yeah sure. absolutely yeah. i mean that's that's practically the whole basis for zen right is that like it gives you space to release and focus and clear your mind and it, it does connect you to divine in a completely different way and it works it does it yeah like meal meal prepping and stuff for me has always been like sacred. It's like I love to like pick out meals for the week and I love going to like get the I love going to the grocery store even now like I still love going and I love like picking everything out and putting it all together and I love most importantly the look on people's faces when they eat the food I've made. Like even like my fiance drives him nuts because I'm just like, I, I told, tell him he can't have a bite of anything unless I'm watching like for the first <laughs> bite I have to watch because he's so expressive. You're so kinky. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is my, uh, my cousin got me a book for my birthday. She's the one who edits this podcast. Um, she got me a book I and hope. it's like, yeah, hi. We, and it was like, an astrology cookbook. So it's like, yes, I know. I'll send you guys the link. And it's like meals. Add it like, to the, add it to oh, the I show. Oh, I will. <laughs> it's like recipes throughout the year based on the sign and like their qualities and stuff. It is so cool. And it also breaks down like what are the signs like when it comes to food and cooking and oh, meals and probably. stuff. It's so cool. Yeah. But and like it could be helpful with another project we're working on. Oh, can you tell us about it or are you saving it? It's, it's in the very early phases right now, but. Um, okay. Just so give us, kind of, give us an amuse-bouche of it, please. An amuse-bouche. Nice. I think what we want to do is cook our way through the tarot deck. Um, <gasps> there's one of the things that is very near and dear to me. Um, That's that so is, cool. 
my symbol and tying that in with food and tying in the symbolism and the ingredients and all of the different connections um i think that could be a really interesting experiment. Oh my God. And now I'm putting on my business coach hat and I'm saying you need to get a blog. You need to write a cookbook. You need to like promote this because this, so many people want this. I want this. Lots of people want this. Yeah. Yeah. People want this. I mean, if there's an astrology one. Little information about food connections to the tarot deck. It's everything right now is kind of in the research phase because there are astrological connections to tarot and then astrological connections to food and it's kind of going through paths like that to bring everything together and the numerology um and i'm i don't know what there might possibly be for numerology and food but there's definitely quite a bit for the numerology and tarot so there may be something to do with that too that's so wild yeah yeah, and then like the astrology cookbook, that's already out there. So a tarot cookbook, people would be super into that. People like oh, yeah. us and all our yeah. listeners. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in that in that book, by the way, like when I looked at like whatever it was for Pisces, it was like they love to watch people enjoy their food. And I was like, oh my God. And like it was so funny. Yeah, all the amount of Pisces in, in <laughs> yeah. Jesse's chart. <laughs> yeah. I'm I might be the like runner up in that only because like I have so much 12th house mm-hmm. stuff, but I'm pretty close and yeah, it's real kinky. Y'all. Yeah. I want that. I want that tarot cookbook. So you, you guys better start an Instagram and a blog for that. For sure. Instagram for our food experiments. And I think we'll probably, um, we want to build up a little oh, bit yeah. more. Put it there. We'll yeah. Start sharing those, but we are bringing some things there already, not necessarily related to tarot. We did, um, a little recipe for Valentine's Day that uh, was kind of inducing love, lust, and passion. I, I peeped that that uh, Instagram, and it's amazing. It's so pretty. So, like for this stuff that you do, is this just that you do personally, or is this a service that you provide? Like, is this a business, or do you just do this for funsies? Um, so, as you know, it, we we started as fun. You know, this was a hobby. This was um, the exploration and. We have done a few column gigs, you know, catering or whatnot. Um, and I think in the future, something we would like to explore more, um, whether it's catering or, you know, prep foods for farmer's market and things of those sorts. But Intentional herb mixes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but right now, it's, it's, it's me dabbling. It's us dabbling. <laughs> I'm like frothing it. at the mouth. You guys need to hire yeah. me so bad. Like I will help. I will make you so rich. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Before the world fell apart, yes. um, we were just beginning to look into all of the licensing and requirements because you know, there's, there's a lot involved in having a food business. There's a lot of risk there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And you know, I, I done the classes, gotten some licensing, but yes, there's more licensing that was, on the way that unfortunately was put on hold as many things are at the moment. Yeah. Well, well you and can I mean, do like, this online, guys. Like, you can guide people to do this. You could host yeah. it virtually. Like, that is hello, cool. business coach projector here. Let me, <laughs> let me filter all of it for you. <laughs> Pull it in. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that there is something to say for quarantine and this 
Saturn retrograde and this Jupiter retrograde sort of pivoting what our projects should look like, right? Mm. That a lot of this energy is saying, like Jupiter is saying, yes, expand, grow, take up space, (laughs) right? Even in retrograde, that's all it wants for us. And Saturn is saying, this approach you're taking, take a couple steps back. Get a bird's eye view of what's going on. Very three of wands sort of energy on that. And um, it's, yeah, it's saying that, hey, these these ideas that we've all come up with for what we're planning and, and doing going forward, that everything's turned upside down. And it's, it's quarantine is forcing us, COVID-19 is forcing us to rethink how we approach basically everything right and so food is never going to look the same after this it's just not and and there's real power in taking a new perspective and a new approach which you guys are already doing so yeah plenty to play with that is funny because I have had lots of three of wands in my readings lately interesting (laughs) oh and we're gonna pull some cards for you guys too but later, later. Don't, yeah, yeah not right now. So. Not yet. Not yet. So one, teaser. So one thing I really wanted to ask you guys, that was on your document. So I realize we're like segueing into like kind of a tangent, but What's I really, new? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. Um, we talk I, about everything. <laughs> I loved that you wanted to talk about like how a lot of magic, especially in food is just science that hasn't been discovered yet. Because this is something I say all the time to people who are like non-believers and like want to rain on my like hippie parade. I'm like, no, okay, it's proven. It just hasn't, like a lot of times it hasn't been like, you know, scientifically proven, but it is true. So like, I want to hear, I want you to guys get on your soapbox, talk all about it. Cause I'm here for it. So I am really passionate about this. And I think, um, For me, part of me is very rational, um, intellectual. I want to understand how and why things work. I want to find an explanation. But at the same time, I've always been drawn to the unknown, drawn to the kind of the supernatural, the weird things in life, the woo-woo, you know? Um, And it was hard to bring those two together. And it's really only been maybe the past five years I've started to really get comfortable with it. And one thing I am very interested in exploring more is sort of the science behind the woo-woo. There's so many things that have been dismissed because they're not coming from the dominant culture. They're not coming from white men. They're not coming from people in power. So they're just dismissed as not real, not relevant, not important. And more and more is coming out showing us the opposite. It's showing that these cultures that have been practicing these things for as long as they can remember, were onto something that now science proves. So it's just, it just wasn't understood yet. I think there's so many cultures that have had forms of smoke cleansing and studies have come out showing that that actually clears bacteria from the air. There have been studies recently that aren't quite getting to the point of explaining it, but they've shown that 
things like Reiki or things like sending positive thoughts to people who are in the hospital actually have a greater effect even than placebos. And placebos are a whole other thing. <laughs> that I'll go on about those. <laughs> um, but all of these things, these traditional folk remedies, are then found to have medicinal properties. So there are lots of things that we just don't understand. And even things that maybe science isn't proving, that, that's where I get into the placebo effect. So in my day job, I do a lot of work in um, technology that supports clinical research. So this is kind of where I'm hearing a lot that's coming out in science now that is backing up this sort of mystical things that were not previously understood. But I'm also learning a lot about just the power of the mind to shape our reality or how fickle our reality actually is. Um, and there's a center at Harvard that studies placebos specifically. And they found the placebo effect is so strong that even when people understand they're getting a placebo, it is still effective for them. They still benefit from it. Um, so it's kind of, I think a lot of that applies to witchcraft. It applies to kind of mystical thoughts, mystical spiritual, spirituality, things that are unexplained. Um, you know, on, on the best case, there's actually a scientific explanation and we just have not explored it yet and we haven't understood it because often it's coming from, um, it's not coming from the people in power and so they're not interested in exploring that path. But in the very worst case, there's a benefit from it still just by setting the intention and choosing to believe it. And the more people choose to believe that, the more something becomes part of the kind of cultural vernacular the stronger that placebo effect becomes. Wow. Yeah. Something that came to mind was like, you know, my fiance is really into tea and he was saying how it's like a cultural thing in Morocco that they'll like always have peppermint tea mm -hmm. after a meal, just like all the time. And then like, lo and behold, peppermint tea actually helps with an upset stomach and it aids in digestion. So it makes total sense. Like it was something that ended up being like scientifically proven that was purely just like a cultural habit. Yeah. I mean, same thing with like, you know, going to Fernet and um, different Amoros, you know, they're, they're there to um, help with digestion and um, upset stomachs. And after a large meal, like these are the things that help you settle and get ready for the evening. And, you know, it's, it, and it's ingrained in the culture, but it, there's no reason for it other than that's what you do. You know, that's what we grew up with. You grew up having a cup of tea afterwards, or you grew up having that that small little drink after um, after your meal. Yeah. Would you say it's a ritual? <laughs> <laughs> are, are you leading me to say it is a ritual? <laughs> yes, I would definitely say that it is a ritual um, that that is brought up through generations for sure. It also like, it really speaks to that, like to the mind body connection. It's like, there's almost like, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not tripod. It's like a Holy Trinity brain. I'm going back to the Catholic upbringing yeah. between like your mind, your body and the food you put into it. Like there's just such a, it's like such a incredible balance between the three. The mind-body connection is 
fascinating. I'm I'm really starting to dig into that. I've actually I ordered some books earlier this week all about it. I'm really excited to dig in. But there was a study that came out of Massachusetts General Hospital uh, last year, maybe. And there was a woman who started going to yoga classes and they told her, you know, it's going to make you a much happier person. It's going to make you a more empathetic person. And she kind of rolled her eyes, but she found it was happening. And she happened to be a neurologist and started a brain imaging study and found that things like yoga and meditation cause physical changes in the brain that then um, make you better prepared to handle stressful situations and to deal with certain interpersonal interactions. So it really, there was physical evidence of this changing the structure of your brain and resulting in um, everything that people said it did. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, like, that's so cool. That's like, um, did was one of the books you got, did you, are you getting the, the mind gut connection? Cause I read that one. <gasps> oh, it's so good. That's a good one. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah definitely. It's, yeah. It's all about basically like how the bacteria that live in our gut basically drive our brain. It is, oh my word. It is so good. I'm going to, that'll be in the show notes, but you also have to get that book. Yeah. If I didn't donate it already, I would I would send it to you because it is really incredible. They have some really cool like studies in there. Lots of experiments where they like surgically like put someone else's poop into another person. Oh yeah, or, that's like a big thing or like like rats. Yeah, maybe not people, but it's like poop samples. Yeah, and just like putting poop in different animals, whatever, and well, then I mean, they're like, like cured. Okay. They're studying the microbiome now, and one thing yeah. they do is they'll have like pills that you take that have fecal matter from someone who has certain bacterial properties in their microbiome. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, like, that's, that's definitely a thing. And a lot of what people miss in food is because of the way it's grown now, Mm. um, which will be my very, very short soapbox stand. Go Um, for it, girl. Do it. No, I mean, that's, that's basically (laughs) it. I, I could probably link us to a few resources. Um, but yeah, quite a bit of the way that commercial farming, um, sort of sanitizes food, uh, robs us of a lot of the nutrition that actually comes from soil and manure and and all of those things that it grows in um oh yeah wasn't there like wasn't there like a study or something about gardening like having your hands in dirt like gets you so much great bacteria or something like that something like that i i'm not familiar with that one but i'm sure that we could probably find something to, to link to that. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, like, that's the thing is that there's quite a bit of uh, B vitamins in soil. And then also the probiotics are often soil-based. Um, mm. So yeah, like Dr. O'Hara, I think is all soil-based um, microbes or something. But Wow. Yeah. There's so much that it feels like we we it's like we've barely scratched the surface on like the science of even just like not just the human body but like food in general yeah well and so i mean like that's that's the thing is that so much of oh here we go here's my other soapbox um so much of indigenous um food culture has been purposefully erased and a lot of it does include you know this sort of what we would describe as intuitive knowledge, but really it's, 
it's a different kind of science where you're paying attention to the environment, you're paying attention to what the animals are eating, you're paying attention to the way your body responds to things. And that's a huge disconnect for people now. People don't really pay attention to the way their body reacts to things. And it is wholly individual. Um, for me, like Ayurveda has been a huge resource for learning more about the way my body responds to things. And it is a science. It's just not recognized by heart, like large swaths of um, Western culture. And I mean, like you can't even get a, an actual, you know, certification in the United States to practice it as a doctor. It's fucking stupid. But um, at any rate, there, there is this knowledge out there. It's just, as you were saying before, it's not respected. Um, at least not yet. You know, if there are enough people like us out there who are saying, what the fuck, pay the fuck attention, right. you know, then, then we will actually have enough evidence to, to pull people over to actually change, um, a lot of the structures that keep it from being more accessible. You, I think Kaylee, you mentioned like, um, Dr. Karen Hurd's bean protocol is very similar to like Ayurveda. Yes. And like the, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. And I had talked about it before when I had mentioned, um, chicken soup and kitchidi. Like kitchidi is that like basic beans and rice stewed down to be as easy to digest as possible with, you know, various herbs based on your doshas and it is healing and it's just food. And like, that's, that's the whole point of Ayurveda is that on a day-to-day -day basis, you pay attention to the, what your body's doing and you have the tools on your own without, you know, having to go to the hierophant of a physician to be able to heal yourself. And you do it on a day-to-day -day basis. And if things are so out of whack that like your body is failing, that's, that's when you bring in emergency help, mm. you know, it's, it's so much more accessible. And, um, anyway, yeah, I could talk about Ayurveda a lot. That's another We're going to have to do a whole episode on yeah, that. Yeah, we really will. I, I love it. As soon as I started doing it, it just, it healed so much for me. I have, um, history with eating disorders and I have all sorts of gut issues. I got ulcers in my twenties. Like it, it was a whole thing. And so there was a really obvious disconnect between my childhood and my adulthood. When I got to adulthood, I didn't eat the way that I intuitively felt I should eat. When I was a kid, my parents supported me in eating however I, you know, felt like eating as long as I ate enough. And, um, you know, the pressure of being in college and not having money and also like wanting to hang out with friends and eat what they're eating. It, and then working full time and going to school full time, it just destroys your body. It's not, not what bodies are made to do. And, um, yeah, so it's been a decade of undoing all of that, but you know, there, there are tools out there and they are based in our food. My, my next question is like, kind of based on all of that, like if there's so much that's within our control with it when it comes to food and preparation and mind body connection uh do you guys think that it's it's safe to conclude that that you could essentially change your reality through food yeah i mean i think 
there's a lot that you can do um, when you look into the medicinal properties of herbs and then look into just using them intentionally and choosing to say, you know, I'm using this in ingredient because I want it to bring about this result. And when you invest that intention into it, you can bring about these changes in your mind that can impact your physical reality. Mm. That's fascinating. And I never even thought about that. What's been your, what's been your experience with that? Like, do you feel like personally you've, you've been able to like see that play out? Um, in some ways, yes. I, <laughs> I would say I eat very intuitively. Um, he, he feeds me based on my intuitions. That's so funny. This is true. <laughs> I love the collaboration. <laughs> um, but I very much like if I'm not feeling well, I tend to have a sense of this is what I ate that made me feel this way. Um, I can often instantly know just by thinking back through this is what set me off. Mm. Um, and then on the other side of that, if I'm in a bad mood or if I'm dealing with certain things, I can say, you know what, this is what I need that's going to bring about a sense of peace and that's going to help me process whatever I'm going through. But, and I think mm -hmm. that the, you know, the mental aspect of it, of yes, helping process, helping this is what you need to be able to, to deal with that situation. But there's also the, the feeling of your body tells you what you need, what you're missing. You know, when very much <laughs> I'm, I am a carnivore. Holly's not, she's a full fledged veg and will be till the day she dies. But they're like soapboxes around here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a point where I, I can turn around and be like, I need a burger. Why do I need a burger? Because I haven't had enough iron because I need that to be put, you know, I, I'm, my body is missing that. And right. without me making that connection, it's telling me what my craving is, is actually what I probably need. And I think there's, there are people who try to use this in a bad way. And they'll say, you know, if you're craving potato chips, what you really want is this, go eat a piece of lettuce. No, not that. But Fuck those people. Exactly. <laughs> For real. But I think if you do start listening to what your body is craving and paying attention to that, um, you can become aware of certain patterns and you can really start eating intuitively and you mm -hmm. can understand why you're craving certain things, whether it is, you know, for certain nutritional properties that you may not be getting, whether it's an emotional thing, but you can you can really get a sense of your relationship to food and how yeah. it impacts your mood and your reality. Even even as far as temperature, you know, the idea of like a warm soup versus like some days you just want a you know something cold and crisp. You know, it's 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 in there um, if you listen to it. Yeah, texture too. You know, sometimes there's something about, you know, having something crunchy versus having something and the soft. And kinds of crunchy. Like sometimes you need a crisp vegetable. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, a potato chip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and everything in moderation. And that's, I mean, like that's actually been something that's, um, listening more intuitively has been very helpful for me. Um, emotional stuff 
is, and I'm, first I'm curious, um, what, uh, emotional things you tend to go towards. And then I'll like expand on that. Cause as soon as you said, you know, that you've got certain moods and you need to eat certain things for it, I'm like, Ooh, what is it? Cause I, I feel like a lot of people will resonate with that, especially right now. Like people are feeling so disconnected from their routines and don't know how to approach food now that they don't have the routine of leaving the house for it and that they have to cook so much for themselves now and that they're learning and they've never had to do that before and you know blah 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 blah. um but also that like this is super stressful and like beyond the stress of quarantine just the stress of everything that's going on right now for not only this country but so much of the world um so anyway emotional food please tell me what you eat Um, (laughs) I I crave I have equal cravings for vegetables and sweets Mm. Um, but I will crave vegetables a lot and I think a lot of that is a nutritional craving but there is a certain type of vegetable dish that is very emotional when I want when I have a craving for something that feels fresh and feels bright, something usually something with a nice, like bright acidity to it. Um, that's usually, that helps me deal with stressful situations. It helps me kind of feel level again. Um, and then sweets give me a sense of completeness <laughs> because a lot of times you end a meal with something sweet. You yeah. the meal, have dessert. After every meal, right? That's normal. Well, now I want to find out what your Ayurvedic doshas are because that sounds very similar to mine. And we didn't profile you on that because we haven't started doing that on this show. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll have to connect connect separately about your Ayurvedic doshas because cravings are a big part of it too. I want to um, I want to go. I want to be there too. <laughs> I think we've talked about your doshas. I've already found yours, didn't I? Yeah, but like I took a some that really in-depth quiz and then it didn't line up with something else and I didn't like the result. It was like that makes no sense. So I've been meaning to talk to you about it. But, okay. We'll get yeah. into that. We'll we'll do the episode. Maybe if you guys want to come back or something, we can, yeah. we can talk about it. Yeah. Um yeah, but uh, I think that's like when I feel incomplete and unsettled, it's having something sweet that can kind of bring about that feeling of completeness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? Um, I mean, mine's a little, it's, it, I'm still learning to interpret it, I guess. Um, the reason being is we, we as a household um, don't have meat. Um, we, we keep completely veg house. So because of that, a lot of my cravings, are meat centric and i think it's only because of the the lack of availability um so you know i i I turn around and i need i i need something um that that's not just a vegetable and is that because i actually want it is that because i need it or is it because i can't have it Mm. i think it's because you can't have it because typically Uh when you've had a very frustrating day at work not that that ever happens of course not um you look at me and you say it's been this many days since i've had meat (laughs) quarantine (laughs) (laughs) but this is his choice to keep the household it is it is my choice i I will put that out out. i will put that up it is my choice but um 
I've offered I, lots of alternatives. <laughs> I think my my automatic always go to is childhood comfort foods. So, you know, like my my craving is always going to be my mother's gumbo. You know, I'm <laughs> um that's that's just never going to go away or get old. I I feel like there's there's a connection with that in children understanding their bodies in a different way than adults do. And this is something that I've ruminated quite a bit on in the past year or so. Um, And I have nothing to back this up other than my opinion and lived experience. But when I was a kid, I knew when my body felt good and I knew when it didn't right? Kids are like, I'm sick, but they don't know why they're sick, but they are, you know, you, you believe them. And it's very unusual for a child to fake that in, and I say that in like, there is something wrong, even if it's not like, you know, my tummy hurts and it's not actually their tummy. They just know that their body hurts and they know that the tummy is what gets the attention for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's probably something about the gumbo that your body knew had something that kept you whole and healed. Um, and whether that's the intention that your mother put in it or the herbs that she used, you know, there's a lot that goes into um, gumbo that you can consider medicinal, especially when you're actually using herbs from Louisiana. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and there's, there's so much, um, literal magic and then like metaphysical magic in it that, yeah, I just, I, I, I picture that your child body knew that that was what it needed. And so your adult body says the same. And we're, you know, conditioned to think that it's just because it's mentally comforting. But I I, I honestly believe that there's more to it. Yeah. I really do. I also think the idea of dishes such as gumbo and, you know, there's all sorts of examples of it. It's the the cultural magic within it you know it's those are dishes that have started at the beginning and have been passed down and have been everyone has their own version and every household has their own version and every county has their own version and all those all that thought and intention over the years put into each one of those dishes I feel like does bring that just to where it is now um there's so much weight to something like that yeah absolutely couldn't agree more So I have, I kind of want to bring it back to what we were talking about in the beginning, because I feel like I didn't get enough and I want to talk about it more. Um, Can we talk more about like setting intention in the everyday with like food preparation and like the household stuff? I'm I'm really, really curious about that. All that like kitchen witch goodness. (laughs) Yeah, it might not hurt to tell us if you're comfortable talking about it, why you've chosen to keep the house vegetarian um because i i think that that's really interesting i actually didn't know that about you guys um so yeah please that that's actually not that interesting i um i do deal with ocd 
and it's taken different forms over my lifetime, but a lot of it has been around food. Um, I did not become vegetarian for ethical reasons. I didn't do it for dietary reasons. I did it because when I was a kid, the idea of eating animals really upset me to the point that it would make me physically ill. Um, and as a 10-year-old child, the best way I could articulate that, which is really <laughs> funny now, was that I did not want to eat something that used to poop. And so at 10 years old, my parents talked to my doctor and they said, oh yeah, it's just a phase, she'll grow out of it. And I did not, I took it much further. Um, so it kind of, I do have a lot of OCD elements around it. Um, and there are certain paths that I can't let my mind go down because I know once I do, there's no walking that back. And that's sort of something that I deal with. Um, but when we moved in together, at first we did have meat in the house and it was just a process every time we did to then clean and decontaminate everything. <laughs> and um, at some point you made the decision that we just weren't going to do it anymore. Yeah, well, and I think it was, you know, it, it goes into home um, as we were talking about and every day the, the comfort that you are um, wanting and longing for out of home and if you're not comfortable where you live that that doesn't um that doesn't sit well <laughs> um so you know the the intentions that we set are going to be that we we produce food that makes us feel comfortable and happy and healthy and healthy yeah um, and you know some of the the ideas of um the ritual or the intention, you know, I, as we've discussed, I'm a Virgo, like mise en place is like my favorite thing in the world because you are organizing and structuring and putting things in their, in their place. And that is something that I think is, is beneficial to me mentally. You could um, take one look at our kitchen and you would know that it was someone with a lot of Virgo in their chart. <laughs> Can confirm. Can absolutely <laughs> confirm. You you should see my spice my spice jar organization. It's uh, it's, admirable. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's me where I just like would throw everything into like little boxes, like canvas boxes. So when we moved, uh, Ian had to organize our kitchen because he was just like, we can't go back to what what you had by yourself. He was like, no, you're not responsible for this anymore. <laughs> Oh, you need, I have them all in universal containers with, they're all labeled and they're all stacked neatly and they're in the order that I use them and, you know, in frequency and yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. That would definitely like cut down on my cooking time, but I don't have the kind of focus to, to do that, frankly, but that okay. sounds so amazing. Environment authority versus emotional authority. True. Human design true. again. Um, um, but I think with setting intentions, you know, sometimes, sometimes it is very intentional. We've had, we were having a meeting over dinner at our house and he said, okay, he calls me up as I'm on my way home. He's like, okay, I'm making some snacks to set out. 
what are some herbs that are going to make this go well and be good for prosperity? So sometimes it is very conscious. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's more of an intuitive thing and you just trust that you're putting something in because it feels right and you know the feeling you want to get out of that. Um, and I think there are lots of different ways to do it. It can be through the ingredients. It can be, um, I am a fairly new Reiki practitioner. I think it was late last summer that I started, but that's something really easy and simple that you can um, infuse into your cooking. And you're just kind of putting something intentional in there. It can be a specific thought or something that you want to feel when you're eating that, something that you want to come about from that. So there are different levels of intention. I think the more you think about it, the stronger that may be for you, but you shouldn't undermine the intuitive. Yeah, absolutely. Do you mind talking a little bit more about Reiki? Because we haven't had an opportunity to talk about it yet on the show. And I would imagine that several of our listeners may not know, like they probably heard the word, but they don't know exactly what it might encompass. Um, is there anything that they could take away from it that they could use in their own food? Um, I think there are, there are different levels and different types of Reiki, but the very basic level of Reiki is just that it is energy healing. You are connected to a greater universal energy source. And one of the things that um, I was told in my first day of training is that, you know, this isn't something that is coming from you. It's not depleting you. When you are practicing Reiki on someone else, it's actually energizing you and healing you at the same time. Um, so understanding that you're not drawing from your own energy, you're drawing from this universal source that we are all connected to. Uh, you can take that. And a lot of it is, um, especially in Reiki one, it's very physical laying hands on. Um, when you get beyond that, they have some different ways that you might put that into your food. But even after my very first class, I was cooking that night and I was, what were we making? I think we were doing a pie dough or something and I had my hands on the food and I felt my palms tingling the way they had um, earlier that day. And so when I went for the second level training, I brought that up and they're like, oh yes, we're going to talk about how you can infuse this into food and into other elements, but it's very much something that can happen. And it's just laying your hands on something. Um, it, at the very basic level, that's that's one way to do it. So you can just, as you are working with your hands, making these foods, and I, he's very much the cook, he is the creative in the kitchen, but I do those ritual things that take a lot of handwork, pressing tortillas, rolling out pasta, mm -hmm. or hand-shaping pastas, um, folding pierogies or dumplings. That's on me. And so that very <laughs> physical handwork um, is one way that you can kind of put your intentions into food other than using ingredients. And a lot of my practice and my spirituality is very based on touch. My tarot reading, um, all the ways I connect to things. I'm, I'm very, very physical, tactile. very yeah. tactile. Yes. Okay, Cancer Moon. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, I, I think that's so cool because I've actually never heard that. Oh. Ah. The system works. 
You can hear us though. You can. Or I mean, I can hear you. I guys. hear you. Yeah. No, it's her. It's her internet. It, I'm back. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. So it was a pretty clean. Um, sorry, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> Someday. Um, <laughs> as soon as I try and talk. <laughs> um. No, it was pretty clean. It was, um, oh shit, now I can't remember the word. I'm that just going to re-say it. It's fine. Yeah, it was only one sentence and then mm-hmm. it cut. So if you start over, it's not the end of the world. It's really interesting to me to hear about the like Reiki involving food because not that I'm an expert or anything, but with everything I've read or like encountered about Reiki, I've never heard that, that you can infuse it into your food. So is that something that like once you realized you could do it, is that something like you do anytime you're working with food now? And if so, like, can you like put specific intentions? And then if so, can you, do you like supercharge it with like the herbs or whatever? Like, what does that process look like now that you know this? You can very much do that. And if anyone is curious about Reiki, um, I would highly recommend looking into it. It's really accessible. Um, like Reiki one, my, uh, the person who I learned from said, you know, it's basically hands-on Reiki's on. You don't even have to think about what you're doing. It will happen naturally. Um, when you go into other levels, then you learn a lot more about it in different ways. And that's when they tell you how to kind of, um, put those intentions into other objects, not necessarily people, but a really interesting story from my Reiki class, kind of going off on a tangent. Uh, But we've talked a little bit about how children kind of have a greater intuition. When I took this course, there were a couple of girls who were 10 or 11. They were really young. Um, And their mom was a Reiki practitioner, and they had decided they wanted to learn. And so at the end of the first day, they put us into groups of three to practice on each other. And I was in a group with one of these young girls and, you know, I'm sorry to admit, but I was kind of disappointed for a second. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of getting the short end of the stick here. Her intuition and her energy and healing blew me away. Um, It was unlike anything I've ever experienced. I... I was brought to tears instantly, and I was not expecting that at all. Wow. Um, so it is, it is something that's really accessible. Um, if you are interested in going down that path and learning more about energy healing, it's, you can go to that level one that's really for anyone, and it's something that you can practice in your daily life. And they encourage you to practice it in your everyday life. Anytime you're putting your hands on someone, you're thinking about that. Even if you're not thinking about that, you can be the conductor of that energy. Wow. That's so incredible. So what are some ways that people who people who may not be like natural kitchen witches like myself, um, well, how can they like infuse their food with some intention and some ritual? Like how can they like, maybe even it's just a perspective shift, but how can they kind of incorporate a lot of what you've been talking about? I think a lot of it, a lot of setting intention, a lot of ritual is just making space for it. And in our day-to-day lives, we're dealing with a lot of different demands. Um, 
demands from our work, physical demands, demands on our time. It's really just setting aside the space and time to say, I'm going to make this for myself. Even if you're just making something very quick that you're microwaving, saying, I'm going to throw a couple things on here to, to satisfy myself in different ways. Um, Think, so, oh, sorry. No. I was going to say, I think, yeah, as you mentioned, space, headspace is, you know, incredibly important. It's where are you when you're, where are you mentally when you were preparing these? Um, you have these things in your life that are, are complications, they're distractions, they're things that we need to take a break from. And when you can stand at a cutting board and you can put those items, you can do your mise en place, you can you can put together what needs to make that meal, um, whether it's the the herbs that are, you've chosen or the ingredients that you've chosen, the seasonality that you're looking for, the um, just the whole purpose of the meal. If you can concentrate and be in that moment, I think that's the most important thing. Because there's a lot of time when we, you know, 10 minutes, you got to make something quick. You're not even thinking about what you're doing because you're probably still thinking about the report that you've got to write or the, um, you know, the, the meeting that you have tomorrow morning. You're not in that moment. You're not in that, that proper space to actually give the intentions, to give the respect that these ingredients deserve. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And I feel like that can also be compounded by the ritual of actually physically eating it, you know, because you are, you were taking that intention into your body um, and, you know, really sitting with your food while you're eating it and thinking about that process, that cycle and, you know, what it's doing to nourish various parts of you and, um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, having experienced some dinners and some brunches um, that you guys have orchestrated, that the actual eating of the food, both like the meal itself and the community aspect of it, really pulls that magic in. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be this, you know, super... Um, reverent and um <laughs> it is often irreverent <laughs> incredibly irreverent the more irreverent the better right you know for certain ones anyway i mean we did have for the Samhain dinner we had it silent and that was powerfully reverent and um you know so having that kind of intention with your food sitting and and thinking about that while you're eating it is this something that's um joyous and celebratory or is it something that's somber and humble and you know like which direction are you connecting with divinity right is this something where you're luxuriating in it or you're um in awe of it, it like it there there's different ways to define that intention um so yeah, definitely pull it in while you're cooking and then pull it in again while you're eating. It's a ritual from beginning to end. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Are there any yeah. herbs in particular that you guys like to work with a lot? Because I think that's super approachable too. Like you can just pick them up in the, in the produce aisle. So, I mean, the, this, 
the standards are of you know time time goes in everything mm. um rosemary of course um we've done when we want something to um be prosperous and successful we've done a lot with dill and mm -hmm. mint mm. good suzuki <laughs> my <laughs> favorites we have done that yes recently I just had it the other night needed it something about it it's good stuff yeah, mm -hmm. and then you know, basil um, is another one that we end up utilizing a lot. And oh yeah, there's a there's a when you when you need for backup and courage, sometimes that basil is, um, mm. is helpful in that fashion. Yeah, and you already talked about rosemary, and that we've used that for a lot of different purposes. <laughs> yeah, rosemary is. I mean, like that's just like a kitchen witch staple. You can use that for mm. so many different things. Um, we really love working with uh florals and edible flowers mm. and you know we already mentioned rose um even even things like dandelion greens and yeah um, you know some of those those more wild and sometimes unrespected <laughs> um ingredients are fun to, to to play around with and to really pull purpose from I keep saying I want to forage dandelion greens because they're everywhere. They're all over the place. But Ian tells me no because the dogs have probably peed on them in our neighborhood. So oh, I wouldn't can I wouldn't be concerned about pee because you can wash that shit off. You're fine. But chemicals. The pesticides. The pesticides. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes more sense. It's definitely the pesticides, especially for dandelion. Um, yeah. yeah. So that is unfortunate with it. it was really excited because we um we set out on a couple of hikes recently where we were going out to forage we had all our stuff we found absolutely nothing oh no what nothing uh. at all but the next day taking a walk um through some neighborhoods near us there was an empty lot that i think is part of some sort of nature preservation um, it seemed to be connected to that. Uh, it was very clearly not sprayed. It was completely overgrown in weeds. Mm -hmm. And we found tons of garlic mustard and yep. tons and tons of violets. So many violets. Wow. And Love it. That, that made my day. Yes. We That's so wild. cool. I have Picking a very violets. large thing of violet syrup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do with it? We actually already made some, um, we made some raindrop cakes, which I really mm. love to do. We've done those for, I did them once before for the, um, it was actually the solstice dinner for the full strawberry moon. So it was mm. a raindrop cake, which if you're not familiar with them, it's um, in kind of a jelly substance. Uh, it's agar based. Um, very interesting looking. It really looks like a raindrop, and we did that. And they're on... done in a mold, so they have like that perfect spherical. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we did those with recently did those with violets in them, and then the violet syrup, and then they're traditionally done with a kind of toasted soybean powder that has a very nutty flavor. Mm -hmm. um, it almost gives you a little bit of a peanut butter and jelly vibe. Hmm. It, it's surprising. It's not what you expect it to be. Yum. What would you say, like, 
witchy metaphysical sort of intention. What do you find with Violet? I think, I, I don't know what the correspondences are for that. That's one I have not looked into. This was, that's something I've wanted to work with very much and I've never had luck finding them being in the city and being concerned about pesticides. So this was one of the first times I've been able to work with it. Um, but I think especially with everything that is going on right now, it was really about welcoming in warmth. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, they show up at the time of year when the seasons are changing, things are warming up. It's one of those signs of spring, signs that summer's right around the corner. Um, yeah, there's, it was, it's definitely an intro to, to spring. We have our violets, we have our fern, uh, fiddlehead ferns and our ramps and things like that that are cherished and loved by all of us food geeks. <laughs> but it was very much about, um, I think what we made was, kind of a celebration of welcoming warmth in uh, during times when there's there's a lot of darkness. There's mm -hmm. a lot going on. There's a lot of stress that everyone is facing, a lot of uncertainty. And having that familiar sign that the cycle is continuing, you may not know where the future is going, but things are going to keep turning. Um, there are certain things that you can count on and knowing that things are getting brighter, things are getting warmer, the days are getting longer. I love that. Yeah, um, that's so, perfect. I mean, I think that that's a perfect yeah. way to illustrate the intuition of, of what you're working with, you know, like, yeah. And I hope that people listening to this can take that as permission to trust your gut on how things make you feel. You know, it's, you're not wrong. And you don't need some guru sort of whatever to guide you on it. Like it, it is what, what you said, violets are bringing you warmth. They are bringing you sweetness. They're also bringing you, um, reverence for what didn't make it through winter. Right. That's, that's a huge thing for violet. And, um, you know, you knew that. You you guys knew that it's and it's and even if you don't know, I mean, there there's so many wonderful resources. You can look online and find a lot. There's um, the Master Book of Herbalism is one that I reference frequently. Uh, but yeah, Paul Barrel is definitely a staple. You definitely want that one in your kitchen. Um, is packed full of information. Oh yeah, and it's I mean it's also it's practical information and metaphysical information it's just it, like it covers everything it's called mm -hmm. the master book for a reason I mean it just it's everything <laughs> um but even beyond that trusting your intuition if you take something and to you it has certain connotations or to you it symbolizes certain things and you use it knowing that that's that mind-body effect you know what it means to you you know what you're getting out of that and so it will be effective. It will work for you. You just have to trust your instincts, trust your gut. Have you guys ever like put an intention into something you were making and not told anyone and seen it play out? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I don't think that's something that we've experimented with. I would, as the you know as a guest have you witnessed this 
as a guest, I don't know that you've ever not stated intentions in something. Right. And as a long practicing uh, witch, I would caution people about not disclosing intentions in magical food. Um, that's it's tricky moral territory. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would be very cautious with that. I, you could, if you wanted, just for the sake of science, to say to somebody like, oh, I've infused this with magical sort of, or I've infused this with certain intentions, but are you game for testing this out to see if you notice the change? Um, you know, that, that, oh, morally, I like that. Well, yeah. Yeah. That, that I, could be an interesting way to do it. Um, and it's very playful and it, it's morally unambiguous. <laughs> that is a perfectly appropriate thing to do. But yeah, I, I would caution everybody just like, if you make something magical, like this is, this is love potion territory, what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. um, if you make something magical and you give it to somebody and don't tell them that is not good energy and it's just not going to come right. It's, it's not going to come out right. I was over here like, I'm going to make stuff and make all my friends happy and confident. Like that. <laughs> okay, I'm Pisces. Make them all happy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Pisces. Like nefar- a nefarious thought never entered my mind. I was like, why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> I think there is kind of a line between saying, I'm putting very specific intentions into this and I want it to bring about these certain feelings and results and certain saying, change, you know, yeah. I'm putting some, I, I hate to say positive energy because no, you know, <laughs> but some good uh, vibes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. When you are just saying, you know, I'm retching off camera guys. <laughs> intentionally. I want this to make people feel good. That's, it's not quite the same thing. Okay. So I can still do that. You can do something to make people happy, uh, but you don't want to put something specific in there, set an intention that people aren't aware of. Mm, and okay. I think when you're sharing food with people, certain intentions are communicated, even if it's not stated um, outwardly. You know that you are sharing this with someone because you want to bring them joy through this food. That's true. Yeah. Like that's like always on my mind when I'm cooking. Yeah. So you're already doing it. Yeah, I guess so. You know, and it's so funny because I I joke that I've reached like mom level status of cooking because people will say to me like, your cooking is just so good. And like, I don't know what it is. They're like, I'll, like people will get recipes for me. I'll give it to them all the time. They're like, it's just not as good as when you made it. And it's like, I think it's because like mom status, like moms are not to stereotype, but like that, like feeling of like moms are preparing food because they love you. Like that feeling of like your mom's gumbo, exactly. the same kind of thing. Yeah. Kitchen witching. Kitchen witching. Yeah, exactly. You are I think that's with certain intentions and certain feelings, even if you are not aware of it. Correct. You're not following a book. You're not following a rule or a, a, a ritual necessarily. You're, you're intuitively putting that in. It is something that comes naturally to people and they just don't recognize it. And I mean, you mentioned not knowing whether you, you were really a witch or whether you were really doing some kitchen witching. We've had funny conversations where 
we were working on things um, based around food that were very explicitly kitchen witching. And it was doing the same thing we had already been doing, we had always done. But he kind of looked at me and he's like, wait, are we witches? Do we consider ourselves witches? <laughs> we all have that moment. And this right. is when you, you are already chosen. And I'm not talking about just like the very base level intuitive intention setting. I'm talking about choosing specific herbs for their specific metaphysical properties. We've been doing all that, right? But it's that disconnect of weight. Is, is this really a thing? Are there other ways that you feel like um, people are engaging in like kitchen witchcraft that they may not be aware of? Interesting. Um, I think a lot of it, I, yes, I think there is. And I, I think you can step away from the food aspect of it and actually go towards more in the, the ritual aspect of the the cleaning of the kitchen when you're done. The, um, the organizational um you know, of, of like, we were talking about my spices, like things like that. I think those are all, those would all fall under the category of kitchen, which is just, you again, aren't necessarily thinking of it in that, that lens. Your kitchen is your altar. And I don't, without think, a doubt, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but you have a very specific area. It's like a two foot by two foot butcher board that is your cooking area and your mm -hmm. prep area. And it is surrounded by candles and plants yes, and crystals. Wow. Salts. <laughs> it is very much your altar. That's so funny. It makes a lot of sense. Like the, the, like, cause you know, I always had this thing and I mean, like there are some exceptions obviously, but I've always been like, Oh my God, I cannot st start cooking if the kitchen's a mess. Like I hate uh, doing I that. Um, like sometimes it's like, I'm super lazy and it's just not going to happen. I'm making something really simple. So whatever, but like preference wise, like I'll even like clean the kitchen before I get started. Because to me, it's just like, I don't know. It's almost like a, like, a, wanting to paint on a blank canvas almost starting with the clean slate and absolutely having no i mean distractions again it's because you're you need to be in the mindset to be mindful of what you're doing it makes sense yeah i guess i guess that's why is because like so like i really do like it's more ritualistic for me and it always has been like i i always joke that thanksgiving is my like Olympics because I spend the whole year like cooking good stuff. And then like, I, I take the best of it and I put it out for the holiday. Yep. And you, and you share it with your people. You, you put your intentions in and you wish you put those intentions of having a good rest of the year and, and it's the celebratory aspect of it. And those are all thoughts that are incorporated into you creating this olympic meal yeah totally i'm i'm definitely going to start doing this because this sounds like just another excuse for me to entertain and <laughs> uh <laughs> make everybody like get everybody into some like good celebratory community vibes yeah i love that and i think that there's so much um that thanksgiving lends to ritual um mm. and intention Right. Like for me, I, I have personal rituals. So Thanksgiving is a, is a complicated holiday for me. Um, 
for reasons that people who listen to this podcast obviously know, I have indigenous um, background and it's, yeah, it's, it's simultaneously um, celebratory for everybody who I have that is still here and can come to eat. Um, and it's also reverent and somber for the people who can't and for the people who are um, erased from a lot of the folklore of the holiday. But there's, I mean, there's so much beautiful ritual opportunity in that. And it's, it's something right, like that indigenous people, some will meet on it and some will not. And the, the, amount of ritual that it is brought into it when when you do meet is is powerful it's and i think that that's an opportunity for a lot of people who want to have more intention in their meals and in their gatherings around these meals to to think about that kind of thing right like if we are talking about the wheel of the year it's gathering for very specific cycles. And in this country, Thanksgiving is part of that cycle for us. We, we choose to talk about it and to think about it. And we choose how we talk about it and how we think about it, right? Like you can have Halloween for the year, year um, for the wheel of the year, and you can have it be spooky ghosts and goblins and leave it at that with candy and costumes and silliness or you can have it be dedicated to the death of the sun and um keep it somber around that or you can do both right like Mm -hmm. it's it's really about what you decide you want to get out of it and um yeah, yeah, there's there's just so much opportunity in it. Yeah, I think Thanksgiving was actually long before we were hosting gatherings like this, when we lived in a really shitty apartment with an even shittier kitchen. Hmm. Um, we, we didn't really- <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> we had towers of cooking because, you know, there wasn't really anywhere to put anything. There were no counters, so you'd have like, the microwave with the toaster oven on top with yeah. something else on top of that. <laughs> um, but we couldn't have these big gatherings, but uh, because we didn't do the traditional Thanksgiving thing, we weren't celebrating with family. We kind of made our own, um, our own traditions around that. And every year we would open that up and say, you know, anyone else who is not, is not celebrating with family or anyone who has nowhere to go um, is welcome to come here. Oh, I always did that too. I do that now. Yeah. A lot of years, no one would take us up on it and it would just be the two of us. And we, we had other years where people would show up and a lot of times it wasn't people who we were necessarily very close friends Mm -hmm. with. It was people we didn't know as well. Uh, But it was really nice just to be able to share that and, for them to have a place that they could go. And I think after several years of no one showing up, we were probably not going to do it. And we were at a restaurant that we went to frequently where we knew a few people there. They followed us on social media and someone came up to us and she's like, so I just heard something about you. 
I heard that every year for Thanksgiving, you open your home to anyone who has nowhere to go. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those things like, because people weren't coming and taking us up on it, we felt like, you know, maybe it's not, it's not something that's needed out there, but kind of getting that feedback and realizing that people considered that even if they didn't come, they liked knowing that they had that option. Um, Made us continue to, open this up and leave this available to people. And now, now we have a much better setup uh, for hosting and entertaining and we're able to, we're able to open our home to people a lot more frequently, although, you know, present situation. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. When, when we are able to, it's going to be a ritual dinner for the, like, yeah, for the books, it's going to be, it's going to be big. I know we were, I was really disappointed because we were getting ready to do one for the full flower moon before all of this started mm, mm-hmm. and had lots of plans for that, but yeah, um, social distancing changes things. Yeah. Yeah. But soon enough, it looks like things are turning around. Fingers crossed. Oh, I'm the pessimist. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I a lot more time. I'm not counting on things returning to the way they were. Um, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think any plans going forward, you need to rethink a new model. So yeah. I think that there's a lot to look at in new ways of connecting with people through food when having a large physical gathering may not be possible and ways of sharing that intention Mm -hmm. and um, sharing that experience ways that you can do that without necessarily being in the same space as someone. Yeah, there's, I, well, like the um, approach I try to take for Thanksgiving, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for ritual and, um, connection in all of this in a way that we haven't thought about yet. Um, and perhaps in, in some ways, what we do figure out will be a new kind of Thanksgiving. Um, that's just me waxing poetic. It's all about like making things what we want them to be, you know, whether that's like the ritual of a holiday that's been, that's been steeped in erasure or whether that's like moving forward from quarantine and, rethinking what you know our community means absolutely i think quarantine has actually there's a lot of um hanged man energy in this you know we're we're being forced to pause and to slow Mm -hmm. down and our plans are being put on hold but it's something that we should embrace and surrender to and take this opportunity to clear out things that are no longer serving us to kind of break out of certain oppressive systems um, and to look at ways that we can bring about change and live our lives more intentionally. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Hangman is a, is a great analogy for tarot and what we're all experiencing. Um, Funny enough, I've actually been pulling it for myself a lot lately. (laughs) I did a community reading a few weeks ago, and that was one of the cards that came up and that was describing the energy of the current time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
So I love a sweet, delicious, natural segue. Do you guys want your tarot readings? Oh, yeah. So I've already pulled my cards for you guys. Um, and I'm going to do this completely unfiltered. So this is not going to be edited. You guys are just getting the reading that I have for you. Um, <laughs> and fair warning, it's intense. What okay. deck are you using? Pagan Other Worlds for folks following along. It's my classic. It's my current go-to. I, I really love the energy that it's bringing, but energy. So first card that I have for you is, um, this may be washed out uh, for, your, for your video, but this is Reversed Temperance. Ooh, beautiful. Yeah, so Reversed Temperance, I am really feeling like it's, calling uh towards an imbalance um and maybe even a lack of moderation that maybe it's it's a little two balls to the wall um which for folks who don't know what that uh phrase came from go ahead and google it that's a fun time um but uh yeah it's it's just like too much always. Um, and in a lot of ways, like temperance will sort of talk about, um, like drinking and vice. And that's not what I'm picking up from this at all. And, and that'll come up with the following cards that I have for you guys. Um, this I would say as, uh, a, a serious call for focus. Um, and uh, maybe even a good amount of self-healing and, and finding that balance inside. Like reversals I take as very internal cards. So there's- That's there's, how I interpret them as well. It's- Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't take it as like- You need some internal work in this area. Big time, big time. Um, so there, yeah, there's definitely, it's- Normally, I would take this as you have an internal balance that you're working through, but given the rest of these cards, I think this is actually a, a call to it that you need it. Um, and it's, it's interesting to give a reading to two people at the same time, because um, I like normally I would say this is your general thing in life, but this is both of your general thing in life. Uh, so what it's followed by is death, which is a I difficult card. The death card. I love wow, the death card wow, too. Wow. Yeah. And I think that this is saying like the, the, that's a natural progression between the two and like two major arcana, like you are closing this chapter of this lack of balance and you are finding the thing that is, is keeping it from the balance that you need. And it's gone. It's, it's going to be gone. Like you guys are done with it. Um, just wait. Like that's an easy card. Everybody knows the death card. I don't really have to explain it to you guys. It's right side up, straightforward chapters ending. So next chapter or like how it's looking to, to actually say goodbye to this chapter is the 10 of swords. So, wow. 
Ten of Swords, I, I have an interesting relationship with. I have a difficult relationship with swords and with the air element, uh, but Ten of Swords, I'm kind of okay with. I, I want to hear your interpretation. Okay. So I typically read Tarot de Marseille on these. Um, in the Pagan Otherworlds deck, it, it follows the smith Waite system. Um, but I, I give both and like kind of meld the two. Um, so I'll start with the Tarot de Marseille. The 10 um, of Swords is related to the Wheel of Fortune. And so this is natural cycles and ending. Um, the spin that the Rider Waite deck takes on it is that it's abrupt and unexpected. And I don't think that that's the case. Given the cards that precede this one, I think that you guys are expecting this. Like, you know, that you're aware of the imbalance already. And you know that something has to end, whether you know exactly what it is or not doesn't really matter. So this this isn't going to be an abrupt end, but it is ending. It's done. It's going to be done. And so, yes, this is I think absolutely, it's going to be moving on. And that 10 of swords is saying, this is a wheel. It's going to keep turning and what goes down will come up and vice versa. Again, it's all part of the cycles. A lot of people like the death card, but even more so, a lot of people tend to see the Ten of Swords as being really negative. And one of the most powerful readings I had was about a situation that definitely turned out to go to complete shit. Mm. But the reader looked at me and he's like, you know, the one thing you need to keep in mind, this is swords. This is in your head. It's Ooh, not yeah. as bad as it seems in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that the internal focus of that temperance, that any sort of pain and abruptness is absolutely avoidable in that. Um, so yeah. And I mean, having it preceded by death, it's, it's going to come. It's all about, you know, how, how you metabolize it. together. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's good for you guys. All but. It, I mean, any other places they allow you to clear out the old so that you can grow anew. Absolutely, absolutely. That was spot on. I think. Yeah, pretty I, intense, but I I love giving tarot readings to tarot readers. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I really love. I really love it because what I've found is that everyone everyone I know who reads has a different method of reading. And yes, kind of brings their own connotations to the cards. You know, there are general themes, but different decks and different readers will bring their own interpretation of that theme to it. Absolutely. If you guys hadn't picked this up yet, Holly is just like me and that sacral generator that we play with everything that's interesting and we just do all of the things. So she reads tarot and she does Reiki and she does wonderful magical cooking and she does everything. So yeah, love giving readings to tarot readers. Oh, and best. I always love your readings. I feel like you always give me a different perspective that I have not heard before Thank that you. sheds new light on on the card and makes me see things in a different way going forward. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that, that you get something from it. It's always, always good. You guys ready for mine? 
Yes. I'm super ready. I can't wait. <laughs> so I'm reading from my Salvador Dali deck. And <laughs> Katie loves this one. It's so it's it's you want it, you should get it. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, and the book is amazing, even though I like don't use it. It's like mostly a coffee table book for me, but I don't I don't care. Anyway, so um the first card I have for you here is the page of coins. So I'm viewing this oh, as okay, right? Yeah. And like it's readings together. It's represented like this card is represented with like a child kind of like reaching out toward the coin. Oh, and the other thing I was going to say about this deck is I asked her what she's all about and she likes the long term. So this is good, like long term outlook. Mm -hmm. So basically what I'm getting from the page of coins is it's kind of like that invitation into like opportunity kind of like what we've been talking about with like jupiter finding that new space of opportunity and capitalizing on it and knowing that it's that it's there and it's waiting for you so like if you've been looking especially greg if you've been looking for the invitation for yeah. your projector self like i would consider this the invitation it's safe to move ahead with whatever's been in your head right now <laughs> um the next card i have is the king of swords and basically I'm seeing this like, um, you are, you need to step into your power, bitches. It's time. Like <laughs> you guys both know that, you know, your shit, yeah. you know, you're good at it. Like it's, it's time to like take up as a leader and to step into that power and really accept that even that, like whatever you're worried about, it's only going to come about if that's what you focus on. Like you are determining your own outcome. It's in your head. Yeah. I, I always yeah. laugh because when I read for myself, I almost never pull swords. When other people read for me, that's when they always come up. <laughs> it, it's that's energy so that funny. I avoid. And oh, that that's I really interesting. Have, I need someone else to bring that perspective into me. Yeah. Well, I, I would take that as your decks knowing the medicine that you need and giving the message in a way that is... Um, easy for you to metabolize totally yeah. yeah yeah and then finally we have the sun so i think it's like basically telling you like there's only good stuff ahead guys like come on what are you waiting for okay these are intense together i know right yep kaylee brings yeah <laughs> brings the tough news jesse brings the exciting news <laughs> Yeah, Doc. you gotta go through the Doc. difficult and the painful, and you've gotta get rid of a lot of things. Yep, and break a lot of things down before you can move forward into something better. That's right, exactly. Spoonful so of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like Kaylee and I have talked a lot about how amazing you guys are, and we're like, why aren't they in business yet? Do it. So it's like time to do it. So yeah, I think it is. Yeah, do Sorry. it. Jump do off the it. cliff. Like, do you it. Do it. Do it. Peer pressure. Yes. This has been so much fun. And yeah. I can't wait to see all of the amazing things that you guys are going to come up with, especially with combining um, tarot and food. That's a really exciting project. And I'm, okay. I'm looking, yeah. to, looking forward to seeing that unfold. Um, so, where can we find you guys? Um, so you can follow the food experiments and everything we're doing with that on Instagram at Dabble Eats. 
We'll link to that too. So you guys can find that real quick. Please go follow them. It's so soothing and beautiful. It really is. I mean, it is absolutely the most soothing part of my Instagram. I love scrolling through all of the, um, all of the dishes that you guys have. It's just food for my eyes. We, uh, Side note, I've been like writing down the show notes. So I just went to make a note uh, and I accidentally wrote daddy eats, um, <laughs> which I feel like is also the energy of that page, yeah, even though it is yes. dabble eats to be clear. Jupiter daddy wants his eats. <laughs> I like it. Kinky. <laughs> well, we have a backlog of, of dabble eats posts that we are working our way through. So there's a lot more coming, a lot more new content that will be out. And then we will be delving into the tarot food aspect and trying to get maybe some teasers out there soon. Yeah, Excellent. Can't wait. So, well, thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thank this was all. so illuminating. Thank Never you. So wonderful. I really enjoyed right. talking to you guys. We could talk forever, I'm sure. Seriously. <laughs> Absolutely could. And we should again. We'll we'll pick more we'll topics have you to back, talk about. Definitely. Yes, for sure. Because I'm definitely going to love your insights on, on some other topics we have coming up too. So. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. Love the podcast. <laughs> Special thanks to Jack Da Silva for our dope-ass intro music, Lindsay Allman for our transcendent logo and cover art, and Hope Clinton for her superb audio editing. Tune in every Friday for the latest episode, and don't forget to rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.